Welcome back to the Bendy and Philby show. As always, I'm Bendy. I'm Philby. And we took a little hiatus since our last podcast to see all the plethora of wonder, wonderful holiday movies, which we'll be discussing for the next 37 to 40 minutes. For those of you keeping track at home, hiatus was the SAT word of the week, meaning short break or vacation. Well, first of all, speaking of shows that are now on hiatus, let's talk about the last few Walking Deads. There's eight episodes that have already aired, and I guess we have to wait till February for the next it's one? It's February. Are there eight more episodes, or are there just a few? I haven't kept track of that. I was getting through these first. What are your opinion of season three as a whole thus far, at the midpoint? At this half, I really liked it. Um, pretty crazy how crazy Rick went, um, but it was an improvement over the kind of lull that was season two. Well, he just doesn't care anymore. He, has, yeah. he doesn't have to be the leader. Yeah, but it definitely is an improvement over season two. Also, for you fans of The Wire in the most recent episode, I forget the new African-American character's name, but he was Cuddy from The Wire. If anyone watches The Wire, I know Neil watches The Wire. He doesn't make it. I, wait, oh, no. Oh, the new one in the group? Yeah, no, oh, he okay. makes it. He's he's the new guy. He's the new guy. All right. There's, gotcha. There can only be one right. in, in any horror story, apparently. And yeah, he's, and the, he's the lucky okay. one. I got you, the leader of the new group. Um, spoiler alert: How badly did you gasp when gasp <clears throat> when Michonne stabbed the governor in the eye with a piece of glass? It was pretty shocking and pretty amazing. Not as shocking as I liked it when Glenn used the bone as a weapon from the zombie against the guard. Yeah, that was kind of abrupt too. They didn't even show them trying to escape. He just started. He just stabbed a guy. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and I think the thing is you see so much gratuitous gore, but you never see a lot of human-in-human violence, and to see a guy get stabbed point-blank in the eye with a piece of glass... That's what... And live. Yeah, that's what Maggie says, though, is that we've been so afraid of walkers, we forget how evil humans can be, or something along those lines. But yeah, it's it was pretty amazing, this season-ender, or well, season-break beginner. Let me ask you this. Do you think the governor is an evil person? Or oh. do you think he's just really messed up? Guess he, I consider him, guess I'd consider him an evil person. Um, he's definitely, I think he's very smart and knows how to take advantage of the system. Now, do you think he was playing them by trying to exile Meryl? Do you think Meryl's still in on the uh, little trick? Do you think, because what people have posted online, their philosophy is that Merle is going to be outcast with Daryl and that... Merle will infiltrate the group and kind of stab them in the back at the worst possible time. I would be surprised if Rick lets Merrill get anywhere close to the group, especially after how he's treated Glenn. That's true. I mean, how dumb can you be? I mean, you can't. It's not going to reconcile. You trusted him once. You locked him on the roof. You trusted him a second time, and then he grabbed both of you and took you to Woodbury as hostages. Although, I don't know why they would want to even bother with the prison. They got a pretty good thing going at Woodbury. I don't even need to know why they need to do zombie fightings and all kinds of other crazy things. But I guess that wouldn't... A, the governor sees them as a threat. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't really move the plot along very well if they just said, well, we'll let them be and we'll, we'll do our own thing here. What the governor said was go kill the survivors and then let the walkers take over the prison again just to get that problem out of our backyard. Now, what has been your favorite moment of season three thus far? Oh, man. You need a minute to think about this? Please. I think the most stunning moment of season three was when McCone was at the gate with the basket full of um, formula 
that she had picked up after Glenn and Maggie were stolen by Merle. And Rick is kind of trying to figure out who she is. And she's not being paid attention to by any of the walkers because she has walker blood all over her. And she doesn't really know what to think of Rick because it's been so long since they've seen other people other than their own groups. McCone at, uh, or Michonne at Woodbury and Rick with all the prisoner with all the people in the prison. I think the most, the best moment for me, at least, was the episode where, another spoiler alert, they killed off Lori and, uh, even more importantly, T-Dog. <laughs> uh, and supposedly, spoiler alert, Carol, too. Oh, yeah, but not really, because really. she's back and trying to hit on the new pedophile prisoner. Exactly. Um... But it just kind of showed that they weren't really messing around anymore. People complain about the second season, but you wouldn't care about those characters dying very much if they didn't set up a lot of plot and uh, sympathy for the characters in season two. And just how they've gone along with season three and just every single episode, boom, 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 just killing people. I think that was the one where, I'm not sure if it's the episode after or it's the same one where Rick just goes crazy and... Kills more zombies. That's after. That's the Okay, so that's the next that's the episode. beginning of the next episode. Okay, so it ends with Lori dying it and everyone rejoicing. The, it ends with the baby, with um, Carl coming out with the baby and Rick just breaking down knowing that Lori isn't following. And it's funny, Lori, being the most hated character probably on that show, or of any show in the past two or three years, dies the most painful possible death. Well, they there's a BuzzFeed, uh, 26 Ways to Say Goodbye to T-Dog, and it has different screen captures from his career, and then the last one it was, and Lori died too. <laughs> yeah, the only picture of Lori is squatting, and it says <laughs> urinating on the uh, subtitles. But maybe the most important question, you being the botanist, would know, who is mowing all the lawns in Walking <laughs> Dead? Who is doing it? The apocalypse comes... And it's all freshly manicured. I bet it's the guy who was living in a cabin and didn't know what was going on and thought he would offer to call the police. And as the BuzzFeed meme said, you can't explain that guy living in a cabin. It's the most bizarre thing they've ever tried. His cabin is boarded up. He obviously knows about walkers. Yet he's threatening to call the police after the apocalypse. It... I, I tried to figure out who Rick he was. Rick is a cop. He reaches for his badge and the guy tries to pull on him. I tried to figure out who he was and they just needed some way, they needed a way to get those guys out of that cabin. Characters should know by season three you don't pull on Rick. Those guys at the oh, bar yeah. didn't they learn the hard way. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Rick just doesn't care. It's like the meme said on there. It's season one, he cared a lot. Season two, yeah. Season three, doesn't care at all. Doesn't care at all. We also saw a movie that falls in my favorite movie genre, which is a movie that says it's the movie's title in the movie very often, and that movie was Silver Linings Playbook. I thought you were going to say romantic comedies. Well, romantic comedies too, but I prefer I I prefer a movie that says the movie title in it no. more than romantic comedies. Did this live up to your expectations? Oh, I didn't really I didn't really know what to expect on the way in. Well, you would wa- obviously wanted to see it, so you were intrigued. I did want to see it. I was intrigued. Um, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence definitely are two good actors. Hot. Yeah. Hot actor and actress, respectively. And, uh, I, I was interested and I knew it was a love story of some sort and I thought it was a very well done love story. Now, for those of you who don't know, just, uh, give it a little backstory real quick, uh, sum up the plot synopsis. Uh, Bradley Cooper recently has gotten out of a mental institution because he had had, he's lived his life with undiagnosed bipolar disease 
and Jennifer Lawrence recently lost her husband and has had her own kind of bout of mental uh, problems, and they just try to figure each other out. And as my favorite pod, my second favorite podcast, only to the Benny and Philby show, the Grantland Hollywood Prospectus, they said, and I agree with them, that it's probably the most Philly movie ever made. I would agree with that. Philly could be the fourth or fifth character in the movie. Uh, also notable is Robert De Niro's performance. He's really great as Bradley Cooper's father, who probably just has as much mental illness as Bradley Cooper does, but he kind of channels it through his Eagles fandom, and he's a bookkeeper, and he's very, very uh, superstitious, as most Steelers fans could probably agree with. He has to rubber handkerchief, sit in his perfect spot on the couch, do all kinds of routines. And uh, I think a lot of, I mean, I think it's the 2008 Eagles season that it's recapping. So even if you're a sports fan, if you're a Bradley Cooper fan, Robert De Niro, it's got them all. I wouldn't pinpoint it in any one category. I don't. I didn't think I would like a movie with a dance scene as much as this movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I really liked it as well, and I suggest if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. I agree. Next movie up on our list as we keep rolling on through is Skyfall, the 50th anniversary of the Bond franchise. Important to note, not the 50th movie, close to it. Uh, but the 50th anniversary since 1962. Fun fact, when it premiered in the UK, it did not premiere in the US until 63. But as a predominantly English film, we'll, we'll, let it, we'll let it slide, we'll allow it. That's Dr. No. The first Bond was Dr. No. Correct. Sean Connery and Ursula Andress. Also, a really racist Bond movie. The first few, mostly all the Sean Connery movies. Uh, also, fun fact, maybe not so fun. Uh, what were your thoughts on Skyfall? It's easily the best I've seen on the big screen, and that includes... I've seen every Pierce Brosnan and every Daniel Craig on the big screen, and easily the best was Skyfall. Now, have you seen other Bonds, though? I mean, obviously you've seen other ones. Uh, How does it stack up to the Bond franchise overall? I'm a huge Bond fan, probably my favorite franchise besides Jurassic Park franchise, but certainly Bond has more history. It's, It's... I think it's a great modern adaptation Pierce Brosnan's Bond A. Pierce Brosnan I don't believe was as good a Bond as some of the other Bonds have been he was very good at being Pierce Brosnan and very good at being Remington Steele I think Daniel Craig makes a very good Bond and the second um, point is that uh, the Daniel Craig this, this movie finally breaks from all the technical gadgets that riddled all the Pierce Brosnan movies, the invisible car. Well, he still has some gadgets, just not outlandish. Not just, yeah, the outlandish or uh, jacket that inflates to protect you from an avalanche. You know, this bizarre kind of... I understand that Those the, don't exist? I understand that the older movies had outlandish for their time gadgets, but I think in Die Another Day, they just went... So far over. Yeah, maybe in the olden days, it was so easy to impress. I'm not saying the audience was full of simpletons, but with these new technological things, and now we've seen it all. You know, we have the internet. We can see any of these things. So you're not going to wow us, which is kind of where I was going to get to is where it kind of goes back to its roots. It's it's just Bond being Bond. He's not not relying on his devices. In fact, half the time he he doesn't even use them, uh, which has kind of been the theme in all of the Daniel Craig movies. Right, right, and that's that's what I really liked because I thought it got back to its roots. Yeah, and there's not too many other supporting characters. They're kind of sprinkled in. It's basically just him 
and M and Javier Bardem as the bad guy pretty much the whole movie is just those three central characters and I think Javier Bardem makes I'd say at least a top five Bond villain if not top three. Oh, definitely uh, again top Bond villain of our generation certainly although Sean Bean certainly has the best death scene in Goldeneye <laughs> as first he falls off the little uh, I don't even know what they call it, the little installation above the dam Falls all the way down a couple hundred feet, still survives, and then that explodes and falls on top of him. Yes. Uh, a great Bond death. Sorry if I spoiled Goldeneye about 15 years too late for anyone. <laughs> uh, but I agree. I would say it's the best of any modern Bond that at least we've been alive for. Uh, I know a lot of people like Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton in those movies, and people are fiercely loyal to Sean Connery. But I'd say he easily best. Pierce Brosnan, at least. Oh, yeah. So we also both saw Lincoln. What did you think of that movie? I think that it's about as historically accurate a movie as you can get, which doesn't surprise me coming from Steven Spielberg. The liberties he took were small ones, and you can see why the the ones that I know of are of the liberties that he took are he renamed some of the people who voted against the 13th Amendment uh, just to spare their families a little agony, except for the big ones, obviously, which you're not going to... You're not going to mess around with. And the other ones where he had the, what do you call it, the lobbyists for the 13th Amendment. Uh, he had lobbyists. They don't probably know who they are, otherwise they wouldn't have been doing their job. Uh, but they just made up fictional ones. But I did, I think those were some of the highlights of the movie for me. Fictional. <laughs> Is that even a word? Fictitious, Fictitious or fictional? Fic- <laughs> coining it. Uh, anyway. I start rambling and these, these <laughs> words just come out of my mouth. I really like James Spader as Mr. Bilbo. That was great. Uh, he was good. He stole every scene he was in. What can you even say about Daniel Day-Lewis? He is Lincoln. He was. And he, the amount of study he put in is just incredible, as he does for all of his characters. Now, Kathy argued that the only thing that took her out of the movie was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as his son, his older son. What Do you agree, disagree? I agree he was a little distracting, not nearly as distracting as Ashton Kutcher will be in the new movie about Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs movie? Yeah. Wow, we didn't get off topic. I'm just saying, Ashton Kutcher is Ashton Kutcher, <laughs> not Steve Jobs. Uh, I did like that he got a little controversial. He had Tommy Lee Jones as Thaddeus Stevens, and we actually had to look it up afterwards, but it was right that he actually had a mistress, or I guess, I'm not sure if his wife was dead or not at the time, but his mistress was his former housemaid, who was also widowed. And oh, yeah. the, um, that's who, you know, you see him after the 13th Amendment goes through with her. And I thought that was good. I thought that was a great addition to it, as he was a big abolitionist in real life. I didn't uh, realize that. Our good friend Chris Forehand, if uh, if you haven't seen it yet, if he also listens, a big shout out to him. But he was also an extra in the movie, in the scene where Lincoln visits the hospital, he can be seen prominently laying in the background, firing career and being an extra. And I think he's also in, when Lincoln rides by on a horse, he's one of the soldiers up front. Yeah, that's right. He said that, that uh, they weren't allowed to talk to any of them, but they were all super cool and they came around and said hi to them. So, yeah, about what you'd expect. Bendy, you also read the book? Yeah, the book is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And the one thing I think they really nailed from the book, and the book is basically his political career and his whole life, whereas the movie is just a chapter of the book of the 13th Amendment. But what the book really emphasizes, and anyone who's ever come into contact with Lincoln, is how personable and smart he was and the stories he would tell. 
And I think that's great because they really break up the movie and the tension by him telling stories. You see him uh, when they're in the war room with the telegram and they're waiting for news to come in of one of the fall of the cities. And uh, he starts telling a story and you see his secretary of uh, war, William St or, uh, Stanton, just stomp off and start screaming because he's so pissed. I don't yeah. want to hear another one of your stories. <laughs> and I think that's the one part they really got right um, because a lot of people who saw pictures of him assumed that he was just a quiet gangly kind of skulking guy who was depressed but when in reality he was just kind of soft-spoken and loved telling stories and he was really personable in real life and I think that was good and also that he really Daniel Day-Lewis really nailed his voice because he was originally from Kentucky and Indiana so he had that kind of the southern twang a little bit to his voice and also you know growing up around Illinois so he kind of got all the the mixtures of all those uh dialects dialects right now, you had one gripe about this movie, and I know the difficulties that come with making a movie about Lincoln, so I give Steven Spielberg credit no matter what, but what was your one your one gripe about it? Uh, the qualm I had was the very end. It shows him, it, for how dramatic the movie was, everybody knows the story of Lincoln. I thought they should have ended at, there's a scene where he's, he kind of fades to black, and he's walking away from the Oval Office after they've found out that the uh, amendment passes. And I thought they should have just ended the movie there, but instead they show him going to the show, they show him on his deathbed, and then he flares up again in another speech. And I thought that they were so good at the, chronolog the chronological order of events then to really mess with it at the end was kind of confusing and off-putting. Now, I think the speech itself was when he was re-elected uh, right before that, so it's not too far off in, in the chronological order, but I do agree that it really seems like Spielberg really wanted to end it right as he was walking out of the White House, because it's a fade to black, I mean, and then it starts up again. It's kind of like The Return of the King, where there's about five endings. Uh, five endings. That's not that I'm complaining, because, you know, the movie's historically accurate, and it's great, and great actors, and and they, uh, they really wanted to get a few lines in at the end. And I think the that was they were trying to reemphasize the mission statement that there is strife in politics, and I think that's what that final speech was about, was, them, was the directors of the movie reemphasizing their mission statement. Yeah, and I think they wanted to say that it wasn't. It's not supposed to be a, bi a biography of him. Otherwise, they would have had him growing up. They would have had him being elected. It was more of just a time period in his life. So while that did, the, his assassination did occur soon after that. They wanted to reemphasize: this is what the movie was about. This is him giving a speech, and so on and so forth. Now, thus far, we've agreed uh, pretty much on our opinions on all of these movies and shows, and pretty much in almost every podcast, we agree on everything. So we're going to have a little tiny bit of controversy, if you can even call it that. Uh, about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, we went to see Cloud Atlas. And this was a movie I had been greatly anticipating. So maybe this changed my opinion of it. Uh, maybe when you really want to set up a movie to really love it. Uh, I had read the book. I knew a lot of different things going into it. I knew that they played the same actors for different characters, different stories, etc., etc. I loved it. I thought there's no easy way to make it. It's kind of like the movie Watchmen, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But you had a much different opinion than me. Uh, I, unlike you, I went in cold. And so I think I 
probably represent the average moviegoer as opposed to the above average moviegoer that reads the books before he goes in. Which explains probably why it didn't do so well in theaters, but continue. That, yeah, it's, it's a super... It's a super complicated plot, and I heard complaints and rumblings of people who thought the movie plot of Inception was complicated, and that was not nearly as complicated as this uh, Atlas, Cloud Atlas was. Um, it's a lot of layers upon layers of plot and detail that it's kind of hard to keep track of without writing it all out. And I can see how reading the book before going in would benefit you. Uh, you have an idea of who, whom all these actors are, or all these characters are. Um, but it, it was just tough for me to follow and left me very confused. Now, I just want to clarify because you said the plot's very confusing. I think it's confusing in a way that there's so many stories going on, not that the actual plots of the individual stories are confusing. Because, well... About one or two of them might be, so, like, you know, one's just a straight uh, journey on a ship, another one, a kind of futuristic story. I mean, they're all a little bit complicated, but I do, the one thing that I liked about it uh, is that towards the end, it's all, you realize it's one central theme throughout all the stories, and I think they might have tried a little too hard to push towards that theme, rather than just let the viewer figure it out for itself, kind of a, just show it, don't tell it. Right. Uh, as complicated as it was, they did. It was a reveal on the end of how all of them are interconnected along the same theme lines. But I don't know. I just wasn't enthused by it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things that people could argue that could stay as a book and didn't need to be made into a movie. And I saw other reviewers saying that that. Wachowski's made the movie just to prove that they could. I don't know if anyone really makes a movie for that point. Uh, I know that they were just passionate about it. My other small complaint is that some of the actors playing different characters just didn't kind of hit right. It's not like they're playing blackface, but they are playing... I don't, the word they the Hollywood uses is not me. They call it yellowface. Is American actors playing Asian roles. And there's a lot of Asian roles in this movie, and you see a lot of people playing those Asian roles. You see... Hugo Weaving as kind of a Nurse Ratched character, which was kind of off-putting just because it really takes you out of it. We're split on this, so I really wouldn't recommend buying it if you're going in cold. Maybe a red box or an on-demand. It's definitely controversial. It'll definitely make you think whether you like it or not is up to you, though. So. And if you have the time to read the book and are interested in the movie, I'd suggest reading the book beforehand. Yeah, because I can guarantee that the book, it'll at least give you some thought-provoking notions and You'll at least be informed going into the movie if you're the kind of person that likes to compare the book to the movie. Uh, there's not too many huge spoilers to be aware of, but uh, if that's the kind of thing that interests you, I would recommend that. Another thing we do in this show is talk to each other about which song we've been listening to on repeat this week. Uh, this week, my song is Die Young by Keisha. Uh, is it Keisha or Kesha? I have no idea. She's got a money signer name. I don't care. She puts out good music. I've been listening to Die Young on repeat. Good music or catchy music? B uh, all of the above. Uh, what have you been listening to? There's a new album out by Benjamin Gibbert. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that name, you're at least familiar with his band that he is a part of, Death Cab for Cutie. He has a solo album out. Uh, I'm not sure what that's called. We'll put that in the corrections uh, very shortly here. But... The song that I like is the single that they've been playing on NPR. I don't know what other stations they would have it on, but it's called Bigger Than Love. 
I highly recommend downloading it. Um, his album, from the few songs that I've heard, is kind of just if you stripped him away from Death Cab, so him and a guitar, his voice. Uh, another cool little fact, maybe not for him, he, his former wife was Zoe Deschanel. They, I'm sure he's regretting that now. Uh, I, don't, I think everyone would regret that, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd like to hear music by them together. I think she actually guest stars on a track. So I wonder if that was just a little awkward, uh, having your ex-wife on your album. Well, I'll definitely check him out. I haven't heard of him. Yeah. Well, do you like Death Cab for Cutie? I'm not sure if I could recognize a song. Hmm. I live in a musical bubble. And one last note about Benjamin Gibbard. He is also the lead singer of the Postal Service. Uh, most people will recognize the song Such Great Heights from the UPS commercial, or really any commercial that's had that in there. So if you like that, check it out. I highly recommend it. And now to our correction segment. First correction of this correction segment would Go ahead, be say it. that fictitional is not a word. It's a malapropism of fictitious and fictional. What even is a malapropism? It's a combination. Is that even a real yes, thing? Yes, it is. It's a combination of two words about, that you're trying to make say one thing, such as frustrated, which is a combination of flustered, which means ruffled and disturbed, and frustrated, which means uh, upset with something uh, due to the outcome of something. Uh, so it's a malapropism, which is another word for all of you out there studying for the SAT. Phil Brain. <laughs> uh, the other correction is, I said it was 37 minutes when I started this podcast. They are 27 minutes. You can relax. You don't have to listen to us for 37 to 40 minutes. <laughs> That being said, uh, we've enjoyed having you listen. We are sorry for the delay. Please let us know if you'd like us to discuss anything on an upcoming podcast or if you'd like to be a guest. But once again, thank you for listening. And spread the word. Brighter than all the stars combined Dwarfing the sun